All right, good morning. I'm Dan Margulis, filling in for Rabbi Linzer while he is away. Today is March 25th. It is Shushan Purim, the 15th of Adar. It is Shloshim Yom Kodem Achag. We start Shalim Vedorshim Bilchoda Pesach. I thought we were doing Masachi Kiddushin. It's important to think, you know, Kolatora Kula Inyan Echad. We have all sorts of things we can learn for Pesach, but also the important point about Hilchos Pesach, Shalim Vedorshim. The first thing we ask is that we ask questions. So that's the important point about Pesach. Okay. Ask lots of questions. So we're in the middle of the sugya here on Yud Gimel Amud Bet, talking about how do we know that if the husband dies, that means that a woman could remarry. And this is actually an important polemical point against certain religions who understand that there are eternal marriages that last even after uh, one of the two spouses passes away. Uh, and so it's important to reject that notion. Why wow, was that the religion at the time of the Gemara? I'm not sure if it was the religion at the time of the Gemara. There certainly are religions around today that believe in such things. Uh, I think the the Mormons believe in a, an eternal marriage yes. even after death. Yes. Um, no, no, it's very complicated. It's complicated. Anyway, um, okay. So the Gemara has tried to determine a few different drashot, and we're towards the bottom where the Gemara says uh, towards the the middleish bottom. Uh, so what about just learning from the fact that there is a special prohibition for a Kohen Gadol to marry a widow? That means even a regular Kohen could marry a widow, and therefore a widow is allowed to remarry, even to a Kohen. And the only person who's not allowed to w- marry a widow would be a Kohen Gadol. Maybe there is a negative mitzvah for a Kohen Gadol to marry a widow, but Everyone else, that is Yisraelim and Kohanim and everyone else, would have a, a, an Isser Asay, a positive mitzvah, because uh, the Re in Tosfot suggests the possibility maybe from the Pasuk, Vedavak uh, Be'ishto, the idea that there is a mitzvah Asay to be joined with your wife, and therefore, even after death, that might prohibit uh, another man to be... You can't like darshan okay. the right uh, Well, it's not even there. On well, answer. you can no, darshan and it's a deraita from whatever pasuk you no, want. Oh, you're saying in the Gemara. Yeah. Well, it's Tosfos. The re can do whatever he wants. No, but this is the Gemara's Havamina. Right, the Gemara has a Havamina. The Gemara, all of this Shakavataria is going to be rejected. That is, the whole notion here is just to push us on the notion of something we would have thought was incredibly intuitive and obviously that the Gemara had even told us Sivarahu. Nonetheless, we actually do have sukim to derive, and it's an interesting question, what, what Havamina is motivating the thrust to make sure we understand that a widow can remarry is a well-grounded notion. But, okay. So, so if you're going to say that mitat habal works, and that it f- would free her entirely, Okay, so, in other words, like, wh- what, what does this mitzvah asay do differently? Because either you're still back where you were, or it, it's not any difference because mitzvah habal, how can you get out of that isr asay? That's sort of the point. If you look in Rashi, Why should Kohen Gadol have a more severe prohibition if everyone has this isr asay anyway? Okay. Because really? uh, now he's a love. Okay, so meaning, but. Before love, I say, but I say. You get all the time. Okay, yes, we do. But. Yes, I agree. Okay. Amba. Lo afikte amimita. The ukhimna al ase. So maybe that the death of the, the husband 
does not take take her out from Mita. That is, that his death would not release her from the from Chiyuv Mitat Beitin Lukina Beiser Ase. That is, uh, even with the death of a woman's husband, if she, as a widow, would remarry, she's no longer Eshet Ish to be punished by uh, for, that she would be punished for adultery by Chenek but it would still be an Isra'aseh. Just like we see by um, at for animals which are unable to be brought for sacrifice for a variety of reasons. So initially, there is an obligation, there is a prohibition of me'ila, that is trespass of temple property using the animal in some way. And they cannot be shorn and they cannot be used to do work. So you can't shear the sheep that was hectish and you can't make the ox that was hectish plow and all sorts of things. And so parkinhu me'ila, so parkinhu, if you, if you release them from their hectish, that is because of the fact that me'ila, under certain circumstances at least, violating the prohibition of me'ila actually does remove the kedusha from this animal under certain circumstances. So parkinhu me'ila, late behu begiza avoda. So, while at that point, then there's no more prohibition of me'ila, the prohibition to shear the animal or to make it work would still remain. So, the blemish on the animal is compared to the death of us. Correct. That is, you had a kosher animal, uh, a healthy animal, kosher animal, and it was going to be a korban, and then it got a mum kavua. In some way, the mum is irreparable damage caused to this animal. So now the animal, you do not violate me'ila by using it in some way, like riding on it or putting your coat. Right, so that's... Right. But you still right. can't use it. Use it. You can't shear it and you can't make it work. But you could put your coat on it or ride the animal or something in a different way. kind of a so you could say, ah, so this is part of our question, like, well, what analogy is... Writing it is not using it? Writing it would count as me'ila, and we said me'ila, late behu, begiza avoda asi. So what is avoda? Writing is not, avoda is not writing it? Avoda means, like, making pull a plow or some, something much Pulling more... Pulling you. But it's not the same kind of thing. I, I'm not sure, we don't have to go into it now, but it's... Anyway, so, okay. Uh, no. So we have a, a, a real pasuk. Pen yamut milchama. The ish acher yikachena. The pasuk talking about who is exempted from going to war says a man who has just recently been married uh, within the first that's year. That's not nisuin though. That's just erusin. Uh, that's just erusin, which is what we're talking about here. Fine. Penya mupa milchama. Perhaps he will die at war. The ish acher yikachena, and we know that the word kach, the yikach, ki yikach ishisha, that refers to marriage. Proof agavorcha that. And another man could marry her if he dies in war. Only from Erison, not from Nisun. I know from Nisun. Okay, so one second. So that's at least the drusha we have right now. So Makifla Rav Shisha Bere Ravidi. So Rav Shisha Bere Ravidi asks this Kashi on this. Man Acher Yavam. Maybe we should say it's not she she's allowed to remarry. Maybe the only person she would be allowed to remarry would be the Yavam, who she has an obligation to marry. This is one of the two pieces today uh, that's going to be very relevant to really deep questions about Yibum. And that this question of Rav Shisha is rejected. Amar Ravashi, Badavar. There are two answers to your question. Chada, the Yavam lo ikre acher. The Yavam is not called Acher. He's not called another person. This is a major question about Yibum. How much is the Yavam? He's somehow a stand-in for his brother who's died. He's continuing the previous relationship in some way. The Rambam strangely highlights the fact 
that the Ketubah in Yibum goes al Nischei Bala Harishon. The Rambam puts that in the first few halachot in, in Hilchos Yibum Chalitza. So really, interesting questions about how much, when we talk about Yibum, is it a new relationship or how much is it a continuation of the previous relationship. So here at least we see Avam Lo Ikre Acher Ve'od Ktiv Usnei'ah in discussing divorce, the Pasuk says, The woman's second husband also hates her and decides to divorce her. And he writes her a get. Or, if that man dies, then there is a prohibition that she go remarry her first husband. That's the Isser of Machsir Grushaso. But in such a case, it's proof that would allow her to remarry another man. And so you can see, obviously, that it's not just Gerushin that permits her to remarry, but also death as well. In that Pasuk discussing Machzir uh, Grushaso, the death of the husband is connected to Gerushin. Ma Gerushin Sharia Vegomeret, just like Gerushin permits her to remarry and completes that is totally severs the relationship. So too, the death of the husband also completes the severance and allows her to remarry whoever she would want. Except, of course, if there were an obligation of Yibum, in which case she would have a special separate mitzvah to remarry, to marry the Yavam. Um, one of the interesting questions that comes up in the Rishonim is all these questions about uh, Eliyahu Hanavi, who didn't die and rose to heaven in a chariot. So what, what is the status of Eliyahu's wife? Is Eliyahu's wife... Uh, that's like a, a, or yeah. using it as a theoretical construct yeah. to discuss the question of in, in a case where a person did not die but also somehow is not still alive either disappeared well not disappeared in an earthly sense but disappeared in a heavenly sense um, so that's part of this question of would Ashet Eliyahu be allowed to remarry or would she have to wait and all sorts of things and the question is also what about what about if a person died and came back to life? So we have t- stories in Tanakh about people who die and come back to life, and of course we also know that we believe in Hamedim and modern medicine. What about even something as simple as CPR, where a person's heart has stopped and then the heart has been able to restart? And this gets into the questions of cardiac death and brain death and all sorts That's of it. other things. Do you think that actually some people would say that now this woman can go marry somebody else? There, it's in the Pisrei Tshuva. There's Pisrei Tshuvas about it. The very yeah. Okay, the Hayavam and Nicknames, and and uh, Benishchai, the Benishchai has a tshuva where he distinguishes between um, what he calls Triat Hametim Al Yedei Nes, like something that would happen nowadays, which basically at its core really is something that's not really a Nes, and it really is possible, and it's really medical compared to Triat Hametim in the time of Mashiach, which is going to be something different and really above myth. I think everyone tries to explain how that's not allowed. But the point is that it's at least the Havamina and the question that they're dealing with. Okay, let's continue. The last clause of this uh, first Mishnah and the Masechta, we're going to get into the second Mishnah today as well. So the last clause was talking about Yavama. So how do I know that a Yavama could be married by Bia? And now the question here, if you look in Rashi, is not actually, or not Rashi, sorry, uh, one of the other Rishonim, um, is not, we're not asking how do you know that Yavama could get married through Bia, it's actually how do we know that Shtar and, B- and Kesef don't work. The only thing that works for Yavama is Bia. So, Bia Minalan, Amarkra, Yavama Yavo Aleha, Ulkachalo Isha. The Pasuk says, her brother-in-law 
will Yavo Aleha, Yavo Aleha we know is the Torah's euphemism for a sexual encounter, and he'll take her to him as a wife. So maybe I'll say that she is equivalent to a a wife in every way. Meaning that Shtar and Kesef should work, exactly. Look in Rashi, Vidilma Kiisha, Maisha Kesef Shtar Kibia, Af Yevama Kesef Shtar Kibia. So Kesef and Shtar should be comparable to Bia. The Ha'aktiv Laisha. So because it says, Lakhalo Laisha, she'll be his wife. And that's why you have to have a special limud to exclude Kesef and Shtar. Kisha Lasa Kadaitach, Ditan Yachol Yehu Bekesef Shtar Gomrim Bab Kederach Shehabia Gomerba. You might have thought that Kesef and Shtar can complete. That is, seal, seal the relationship to its fullest extent, uh, just like Bia does. Tamud Lomar, Ve'yibma. The Pasuk is repetitive. The Pasuk says, Her brother-in-law will have a sexual encounter with her and take her as his wife. Ve'yibma, and perform yibum with her. So, what does that extra word, Ve'yibma, mean? Bia gomer ba'vein kesef ishtar gomrimba. Bia is the only mechanism that would work, but not kesef and shtar. So that's the difference, an important fundamental difference between Yibum and, and, and uh, marriage, Kiddushin, is that the processes are different, but also because they're totally different halos. Like, we were sa- like I was saying just before, the Yibum is predicated on a pre-existing relationship. It's a very different kind of relationship than Kiddushin, where you're taking two people who have no previous connection and bringing them together. Okay. Maybe we need the word to learn that uh, Yibum, we do need the word to learn that Yibum can be performed that's against the woman's consent or really without the woman's explicit consent at this time. That is her initial dot for Kiddushin includes in it a legal understanding of the fact that her, should her husband die now she is also implicitly agreeing to Yibum with her brother-in-law as well so the Pasuk has an extra hey meaning it, all of this is redundant anyway so the redundant redundancy we can use to learn both both principles that is number one Yibum is only by Bia and not Kesef and Shtar and Yibum could be Balkarcha and we see that those are very defining qualities about Yibum very different than Kiddushin okay. yes. is there something about is there a, is a general principle that is to say you have a redundancy you say it teaches you X there's a Kasha that says Y maybe you need it for Y and then the hermeneutic response is you can learn both there, so there are always two ways. There are two standard ways of resolving any one of these. Thank you so much. Uh, one of the solutions is, well, he who makes that drasha doesn't hold by this other right. principle, so or he learns that from another pasuk, right. or something right. like that, and it always has to be he ends up using this pasuk for so two what? things, or he rejects this position. Right. Standard. Right. Right. Now, redundancy is wide enough to accommodate two possible. Sometimes, but this redundancy, remember, it could have said it could have said ve'yabeim. So the fact that it says ve'yibma, so it's two redundancies. It's two redundancies. Yeah, okay. You have to say that all over again. <laughs> yeah. What did you say about when she? Did you say when she was uh, accepting marriage, she was accepting? Right. That is the halachic understanding of the das. That is the woman's consent to the marriage. At least in some sense, considers the consent that she gives at the initial marriage to include a legal consent for yibum that could well no but it's to say that the balkarcha is because she already 
implicitly consented to this relationship previously by marrying the brother. But she knows she knows the halacha, so she knows that should her husband die and they don't have any children, she will be obligated to either have yibum or chalitza with this yavam, and therefore she is understood to have implicitly consented. Now, obviously, we can get into and talk maybe later about how much yibum is valkarcha or not, how much is a woman's voice available to actually choose yibum or chalitza, and how did Chazal and the Rishonim struggle with that question, particularly around the question of whether or not we do yibum anymore. Uh, is the sugi in the first, first parak in Yivamos, comes up in Bechoros, so we'll get there in a few years, uh, and all sorts of good things as well. Okay, so Bechalitza. How do I know that Chalitza? Now, the Gemara says, Minalan. Of course, the Pasuk is explicit that there is, there are several psukim in the Torah dedicated to the Chalitza ceremony. The Gemara's question, Minalan, is how do I know that Yivama Kone'et Atzma Bechalitza? If you look in Rashi, uh, Rashi says, Minalan de Chalitza Muteret Lihinasei. How do I know that a woman who has gone through the Chalitza process is allowed to remarry? Maybe you'll just think, after Chalitza, she's still... Un- unable to remarry anyone. She's rejected or been rejected by the, ba- by the Yavam, but that doesn't mean that she would be permitted to marry someone else. To a certain extent, yes. That is, the death of her first husband left some strings attached. In this case, she has to resolve something with the Yavam. Her choices were either Yibum with the Yavam, or, which would be marrying him, or Chalitza with the Yavam, and then how do we know that if she does chalitza, she could go marry someone else? Maybe she's still prohibited from marrying anyone. So the Gemara says, The Yavam's name will be called the house of him whose shoe was removed, which was very embarrassing. Because the Pasuk says, The Yavam will be known as one whose shoe was removed. That means once she removes the shoe, then she is allowed to remarry Kol Yisrael. Now, Kol Yisrael, obviously, she would not be allowed um, to marry a Kohen. It's interesting, the question of the Isser Chalutza La Kohen. A Chalutza to marry a Kohen is not so simple that that's uh, the same as a Grusha. And in fact, I think most of, if not all the Rishonim, think that Chalutza La Kohen is a, only a Durabanan prohibition. That is, Chalutza looks kind of like divorce, but it's not the same. Yes. She's also not permitted to the late husband's uh, relatives. Well, certain relatives, yes, and many of his relatives, right. Well, especially, you know, the other brother, once she does Chalitza, right? The other brothers, right. yeah. The other brothers, okay. So, uh, okay. Hi, Yisrael, lahachi hudata. Is that why the Pasuk says the word Yisrael? Or perhaps the Beitin Shel Gerim. That is, um, so Rav Shmuel Bar Yehuda needs the word Yisrael to learn not this principle that she would be allowed to remarry, which is the whole problem that we're trying to derive about Chalitza. He needs that to learn the principle that Chalitza could only be performed in front of a Beit Din Shel Yisrael, a Jewish court, and not either, perhaps, a non-Jewish court, which would be a very strange alternative. Yeah. Perhaps a different Girsa of this Gemara, if you look in the Hagos Habach, he says, Beit Din Shel Gerim. We know that one of the limitations on converts is under certain circumstances for certain kinds of cases converts can't serve as judges or at least can only serve as judges for other converts and therefore this may be according to at least Rav Shmuel Bar Yehuda's position one of those types of legal cases that is how much is the Chalitza process a legal 
uh, court kind of process? How much is it that the Dayanim who are there for the Chalitza are sort of just witnessing the ceremony? So sort of what's the cutoff or what's the formal standard in terms of who those Dayanim are? Right, that, that, that Gerim could serve it, exactly. And for most kinds of Mamanos cases, um, there are at least, um, yeah. Totally. It's interesting that uh, applying the term Nokrim to Gerim is... Well, it's again, it's complicated. It depends. The girsa at some point got mixed up and switched, so it's complicated. But yeah, mm-hmm. uh, part of it has to do with exactly this question: What are we talking about? Why the havamina of oh, you could go do chalitza in a non-Jewish court is a very interesting havamina. I just remember seeing a tshuva of Rav Cook uh, a few weeks ago, uh, where Rav Cook was t- dealing with an aguna case, and he made the very radical suggestion that at least uh, at the deoraita level a civil divorce might count as a get. That is, it would be a get pasul. Uh, and he used that as one snif in his whole diun about how to deal with that aguna case. So it is very interesting to think about how, what kinds of, particularly in marital law, you know, the other major question in, in aguna questions is how much is civil marriage or, or common law marriage to be considered marriage as well if it's performed in the non-Jewish system. Okay, so No, in the Parsha of Chalitza the word Yisrael comes up twice and we could learn both Halachot. So, no, I need one of those Israels to learn the story of what happened with Rabbi Yehuda when Rabbi Yehuda went to Rabbi Tarfon. It's interesting, Rabbi Tarfon is probably from Beit Shammai, so it's interesting to see some of the differences. Rabbi Tarfon and Rabbi Akiva get into a lot of fights about a lot of different halachot. Uh, Rabbi Tarfon has some interesting shitot, but here at least Rabbi Yehuda went to Rabbi Tarfon, and there was a Yavama who came in front of the Beitin to do her chalitza, and Rabbi Tarfon told us, that is all of the judges, to say, chalot sana'al, chalot sana'al. That is, once she removes the shoe from the Yavam's foot, then everyone else should call, actually call him Chalotanal. That is, how much is the Chalotanal? How much is it that it should be when we say Vinikrash Mobi Israel Beit Chalotanal? Is that figurative? Like he will be known as someone who performed Chalitza? Or very much is it you actually have to call him Chalutanal right now to his face. Okay? And the response to Rabbi Huda or to this Bryce of Rabbi Huda is Hahu me Venikrashimo Nafka. No, that could be learned out from the word Venikrashimo and not from the word Yisrael. And therefore, we could learn all three halachot. That is, number one, we can learn that the court for, uh, for Chalitza perhaps uh, cannot, or the court for Chalitza cannot be a Beit Din of Ovedei Kochavim. Uh, the court uh, number two, that she would be allowed to remarry after Chalitza, and number three, that um, once the Chalitza is performed, the court has to call him Chalutza Na'al, Chalutza Na'al. Okay. Now, what if the first a woman's husband dies and they have no children? So now she's she has an obligation to perform Yibum, and her deceased husband has one brother, and then that brother dies. The Yavam dies. So the Mishnah told us that at that point she is permitted to remarry. So Minalan, how do we know this? Kavach Omer. We have it from a Kavach Omer from Eshet Ish. Ma Eshet Ish. Shehi Bechenek. Mitad Habal Matirta. So just like an Eshet Ish, that is a regular married woman, if her husband dies, 
and the prohibition, the punishment for Eishat Ish is chenek, it's a capital crime, and the death of her husband permits her to remarry, Yivama, she love a Yivama, whose prohibition is only punishable by lashes is a regular love, local shikane. Shouldn't she be allowed to remarry with the death of her yavam as well? So we have to now, we're going to go through, perhaps some of these kavachomers are going to get rejected. Ma'alei she'ish shikane yosab get. Eishet is different from yavama because she can be divorced with a get. And we know that a yavama cannot be released by with a get. She has to have chalitza. Tomar bezo she'ina yosab get. Can you make a comparison between the two cases because of the difference regarding the get? Hanami yosab chalitza. No. So maybe we'll say, even though she can't be released with a get, she could be released by chalitza. And so perhaps there is an equation, at least a partial equation, between get and chalitza. In the case of Eishet Ish, Osara Matira, the one who made her prohibited, that is her husband, is the one who releases her. That is either through the process of his own death or the process of giving the get. Amara, uh, so can that be compared to Yibum? And now, the Havamina here, which is going to be rejected, the Havamina is that Yibum is different. Why? In Yibum, who's the one who releases her? Well, it's the Yavam. He does Chalitza. Uh, who's the one who created the Isser? The assumption is that the deceased husband is the one who created the Isser. And Amravashi Hanami Osura Matira. No, Ravashi says, actually both roles are played by the Yavam. So the question is, who is the one who creates the Isser? Is the Isser created by the deceased husband, or is the Isser created by the Yavam himself? By the existence of the Yavam. Exactly. That's because we can see here, and Ravashi explains to us now, Yavam Osra. The Yavam is the one who creates the Isser. So Yavam, uh, Yavam Sharila. The Yavam is the one who releases her. Why? How is it that the Yavam creates the prohibition? Because if he were not there, if there were no brothers, then she would be allowed to remarry immediately. So the existence of the Yavam is what creates the prohibition of Yavam al-Lashuk and not the husband. Because the death of the husband creates an obligation for Yibum if and only if there is a brother. Could we say that a married woman, that is a regular wife, would be allowed to be divorced by Chalitza, Mikal Vachomer? Can we learn it the opposite direction? Now we're not trying to learn divorce to to uh, chalitza, we're trying to learn chalitza to divorce. So my yavama she'in yotze beget yotze bechalitza. A yavama cannot be divorced by a get, but she could be released with chalitza. So she yotze beget. Eino din she yotze bechalitza. Couldn't we make this kavachomer and say, ah, so an eshet ish who is released by a get, obviously could be released by chalitza as well. Sounds like chalitza is stronger. Now we know the answer, right? Amarka sefer kritu sefer korta ve'indavar acher korta. It could only be through a written document that creates the divorce. That is. A married woman, Eishet Ish, can only be divorced with a written document, and Yivama is released not by a get, but by Chalitza, which is an embodied process. So very different uh, types of activities that are involved. Also to consider just the fact, we, we already saw, even in this uh, Shaklavataria here, the prohibition of Chalitza, that Chalitza is undoing is a much lower level prohibition. So also you should say, you should have a logical problem with this Kavachomer as well. But Tehei Yivama Yotze Beget, um, couldn't we say Yavama could be released with a get? And Eishet Ish is not released with Chalitza. She can be divorced with a get. Couldn't a woman who is divorced, uh, released with Chalitza would be released with a get as well? So by the halachot of Chalitza, the word the Torah uses the word kacha, which is kacha yasa la isha sher lo yivne Interesting echoes in the Megillah 
we have uh, so just always you know you're reading the the kitetse and you hear uh, okay the kacha ikuva so the word kacha comes to hold back that is to create a limitation in terms of the application of those halachot Okay, the kol hecha de ika ikuva lo darshu kavachomer. Is it really true that whenever we have an ikuva, that is some other part of the drasha that's making a restriction, that we still wouldn't be able to make any kavachomer? yom hakipurim goral vechuka. So yom hakipurim has two principles. Number one, the goral, that is, we have the two goats, and one of them is going to be a korban chatat, and one of them is going to go to the desert to be pushed off of the cliff. And the Torah used the word chuka. Chuka we know is a term of precise legal application from the word chok so bechuka so it should be a limitation that is we shouldn't extend or reapply those halachot v'tanya asehu chatat hagoral ose chatat ve'ein hashem ose chatat so the halacha regarding the goral is that with the two goats of Yom Kippur only the goral can designate which of the two goats is going to be a korban chatat and which not and not kriyat shame that is actually just putting your hands on the korban and saying this is a chatat lashem or something like that on Yom Kippur the only way to designate the goats is using the goral and that's from the pasuk ve'asahu chatat you will make it a a korban chatat she'achol so what, what? Couldn't we make a kavachomer? Uma b'makom shelo kidesh goha goral, kidesh hashem. Even in a place where the goral does not work. That is, some other set of korbanot. For example, if you bring a khan, you bring two birds. One is an ola and one is a chatat. And you just bring the two birds together. And you haven't yet designated them. So if you bring the khan and you say... Um, the only way now to designate which one is an ola and which one is a chatat is by actually telling, announcing it to the birds. Um, so a goral would not work. Makom shekidesh goral, din shekidesh hashem. So if the goral is a weaker mechanism than kriyat shame. So maybe goral should also work. If goral works on Yom Kippur, then also kriyat shame should work on Yom Kippur as well. Talmud Lamar ve'asahu chatat ha'goral osechatat ve'in hashem osechatat, and that's why the pasuk needs a special limitation to exclude that kalvachomer, so that you can't think that on Yom Kippur you could just do kriyat shame. But that means even in a case where we have the pasuk uses the word chuka, which is a limitation, which we would think you shouldn't be able to make a kavachomer, we still had a havamina based on a kavachomer that had to be rejected by a pasuk anyway. So, the time of the demaite kra, uh, if it weren't for the fact that the Pasuk had excluded it, we would have made this Kavachomer, even though the Pasuk says Chuka. Amar Kra, La, La, Velo Leyevama. So the Pasuk says La. That is regarding, uh, Venatan, uh, Venatan, uh, Kikachishisha, Uvalavusnea, um, um, I'm forgetting where the, the word La comes in the Pasuk. But, uh, this, uh, La, right. Sorry. Um, so you spend three months on Masechus Kitten and then you forget. Okay. So, Amar Kra, La. So, the, the Pasuk regarding divorce says the Katav La, the husband has to write it for her, La, Velo Yavama. Only for his wife, but not for a Yavama. That's the Pasuk that comes to exclude. That is, we would have thought that because it said Kacha, it comes to exclude a Kavachomer. So, fine. Even if you say that it excludes the Kavachomer, we need to learn, we don't say that because we had this whole thing about Yom Kippur, and therefore instead, we need this explicit Pasuk. That is, the word law says law, the lowly Obama. So the Chachamim in this Sukhya are working really hard to maintain 
the primacy or the hegemony of of psukim over Kavachomer. Like yeah. Kavachomer is very powerful source for learning Allah. And nonetheless, we want to avoid it. And, and, right, but they have to work really hard to, to I think bend the psuki right. over the human mind. Correct. We had And we had that a few days ago as well, in, even in this comparing the, all the different mechanisms of Kiddushin as well, and many Kavachomers were rejected based on psukim. And I think an important part of this discussion is to say Kavachomer is based on a logical analogy. That is, these two cases are basically the same, and we can make extrapolations and comparisons between them. What Chazal are telling us here using these psukim and the unique aspects of each of these different processes is to say Yibum is different from marriage. Marriage is different from Amaha Ivriya. The three different types of marriage are certainly in some ways different from each other. And you can't just draw analogies between them and you can't just compare them because they actually are unique and distinct in their own ways. Uh, it's important to think then especially part of the problem especially from a modern perspective of the first parak of Kiddushin is that so much of the structure places marital relationships in a context of kinyanim and purchase. We're going to get to the Mishnah about about um, uh, Eved Ivri today. So that question raises a serious question about how do we think about marriage and the answer is Chazal are very attuned to the fact that each of these actually very distinct process um, that just happen to use sometimes the same words or similar ideas but are actually very different. Okay, so don't we say, you should have asked me a question, right? The word law. So don't we need the word law to learn that the get has to be written lishma? No, the word law appears twice, so it's fine. Don't I need the second law not to learn that you it's la velolivama, but it's la that is, a man cannot divorce his two wives with the same get. Okay. No, we learn it from, um, from the paragraph of Chalitza, actually. To learn that, that a Yavama cannot be divorced with a get, we learn from Chalitza. And that is Na'al. Na'al in Midiachrina La. So that she can only be released by the shoe and not anything else. Is that very, very interesting. Just like we have a drasha. Sefer korta vein davaracher korta by divorce by chalitza we also have naal naal in miniachrin alo very similar kind of drashot that is the precise formulation in the Torah either a written document or a shoe plays the role and nothing else can play the role okay the hai naal hachihudaata so is that really what the word naal comes to teach hai mi baile lechiditanya naalo in ainly elenalo the word naalo would say I would have think, think, thought only his shoe the fact that it says naal shall kol adam so, sorry, Na'al shall kol adan min How do I know you could use anyone's shoe? That is, the Yavam does not need to own the shoe. That is, it's a symbolic process, and it's not actually her removing his shoe. But someone can loan him a shoe, he can take the shoe from the Beitin, whatever. It doesn't have to be his shoe. And the communal sandals they used to use. Right, so that's what they use now. It has to be, and we're going to see some of the requirements of the Chalitza shoe. So, min alei, tamud lamar, Na'al, Na'al, Riba. So the word na'al comes as an expansive notion of a shoe. And therefore, it could be anyone's shoe. It's not na'alo, it's a general shoe. Im kein matamudomar na'alo, na'alo harauilo. So the fact that it says na'alo, it has to be a shoe that is suitable for him. We're going to see. Prat legadol bo. It cannot be too large for him to walk in. You know, if you have big clown shoes on, it would be very difficult to to walk around. Your foot is flopping around, so that wouldn't work. Okay. And prat lekatan she'ein chofet rov raglo. And it excludes a shoe that is too small that does not cover the majority of his foot. Now, I would think even a shoe that covers 
the majority of my foot is probably too small. So that's an interesting definition. How much is this a legal problem of, you know, rubo kakulo, and how much is this a, a, a physical problem of the shoe fitting on your foot or not? Because I would think even, you know, size 10 foot wearing a size 8 shoe is going to be very uncomfortable, even it's though it covers the, the robe. Now, they had a different kind of a shoe, obviously. It's more of like a sandal, but still. Okay. <laughs> and we have another exclusion, not just not too big and not too small, but also prat, le mesulim she'en lo akev. Also, certain kinds of sandals that do not have a heel. Presumably, this is referring to the back of the shoe. There's a picture there in the Steinsalt. So Basically, flip-flops. Flip-flops. Flip-flops don't have a, a cup for the heel to sit in the shoe. And therefore, that's one of the exclusions. It has to be na'alo ha-ra'ui lo. Seemingly, that flip-flops are not ra'ui lo. That is, they're not real shoes in any real sense. In kein nechtov kra na'al. So then the Torah could have just said, Na'al, my ha-na'al, shmat minay tarte, we can learn two things. That is, number one, Yavama, uh, Yavama could only be released by Chalitza and no other way. And number two, we learn all the exclusions for the physical a- object of the shoe uh, discussed in length in Masachas Yavamos. We have the next Mishnah. And we have about 20 minutes. So hopefully we'll be able to make some headway in this sugya. This is a discussion of Eved Ivri. We are changing gears for now. We're going to come back to Kedushin soon. Don't worry. The Gemara can't keep itself away from its main topic, obviously. Um, but Eved Ivri, we know, at least in the Torah, appears uh, seemingly three times. There's a beginning a discussion in Parshat Mishpatim. There's a discussion in Parshat Bahar. And there's a discussion in, in Sefer Dvarim. Uh, in Parshat um, in, in Re'e, right? Um, by the Moadim. So each of those three sections has different focus and different aspects of Eved Ivri. Some of the Bible critics have suggested that that means that they must be from different sources. I heard a very illuminating and interesting uh, lecture from Professor Aaron Kohler at YU, uh, who spoke at length about how really it's obvious from not only Jewish sources, but also from the ancient Near East, that actually all of those were very similar parts of the legal code of slaves, and they're totally compatible, they don't contradict each other at all, and they're actually very clear to be all part of a unified system. So it's actually very interesting to, to study that at depth, uh, and he thinks that that's uh, at least one of the major problems with the modern uh, biblical scholarship, which is that often they see something that they think is a contradiction, and they, they jump on it and won't, won't look even more critically about the other similar kinds of things. Um, in ancient Near Eastern sources, as well as the Torah, there are two ways to become a, a slave, that is, Eved Ivri, a slave of citizen type. That is, a Jewish person indentures himself for, for two reasons. One is mocher atzmo. You need extra cash. You're very poor. You indenture yourself to work as a servant for someone. Option number two is mecharuhu beitin. If the beitin sells a person as a slave, and that would be in a case where a person stole something and is so poor that he cannot pay back the keren, cannot pay back the principal value. You buy a steal a loaf of bread, you eat the whole loaf of bread, and you have no money, you can't pay it back, so you have to be indentured to pay off the debt. Or you stole something even more valuable and then consumed it in such a way that you couldn't pay it back. Now, the Beitim would not sell a person as a slave if they could pay the keren, but would be unable to pay kefel. That's because the kefel, the double payment that we pay in cases of Geneva, is an additional fine imposed. There's the restitution, and then there's a punishment. So the punishment, you don't get sold to pay back, but the, the keren, the principal value, you do. The Mishnah says, Eved Ivri nikneh bekesef uvishtar. And Eved Ivri could be purchased, but not really purchased, obviously, it's an indenturement agreement, so that agreement could be solidified and formalized either by kesef, 
or with a star, with a, a bill. The Konatmo Bishanim, he becomes freed from his indentured servitude. He he acquires his own freedom, Bishanim, either with the passage of six years, and Evadivri works only six years, right? The Pasuk says Vavadha Sheshanim uh, so the six years uba yovel, or if the yovel year comes even in the middle of those six years ubegraon uh, kasef, or in the paying off the debt. That is, the maximum term is six years. But if he stole something that was relatively cheap, then the time will be shorter. And also, if he has saved up money from somewhere else, or someone gives him a big gift of money, he can pay off the rest of his debt. If he worked two months and paid off 50%, and then someone gave, he won the lottery, and he can pay back the rest, so then that's also ground kesef. You can reduce it with money. And amaha ivriya, that is a young woman, a, a girl, who was indentured by her father. It's interesting to note that one of the major questions about Eved Ivri, it seems like an adult woman could not make herself an Eved Ivri. There is a process for adult men and there's a process for minor girls. But there's nothing for boys and there's nothing for women, interestingly. Um, so that's part of the question. So, when she reaches physical maturity, uh, she also is released from her indentured servitude. If a slave agrees to have his ear pierced, one whose ear was pierced, that status is acquired through the piercing of the ear. And he goes free either at the Yovel year or when his master dies. So the Eved Nirza has some different halachal we're going to see. But he, the point is that he does not go free with the passage of six years. That's the point. At the end of six years, he can agree to become the Nirza. And also, he can't pay off his debt. His debt could only be released by the Yovel year or by the Adon. Yes? So uh, if a, uh, an, an, adult, an adult male becomes, becomes in debt, yes. he can indenture his minor daughter to work off the debt. Correct. But he can't indenture his minor son. Correct. Okay, sure. And, and, and remember also, one of the aspects of Amaha Ivriya is not only that it's indentured servitude for this young woman for a few years, it also carries with it the potential or perhaps the hope that she'll be married off by her uh, Adon. That is, the Adon could marry her or he can marry her to his son, and that's called Yud. That's going to come up, and Tosfot mentioned that many times in the uh, earlier part of the parak in the comparisons between Amaha and marriage. So from that perspective, in that context, it's actually a Yitaron for that little girl, for that young girl, as it were. The right. father is poor. Right. Here's an opportunity for her to marry into, into a wealthy family. family. Right. Means. Right. Exactly. Uh, and that's, it, it really is, you know, you think about it, on the one hand, we have an aversion to discussions of child marriage and to servitude and slavery and, and child labor laws, but it very much is, and that's exactly the tension between the Torah system, which obviously in a different cultural climate uh, provided many mechanisms to really help people, which nowadays we have a certain aversion to, and we have to see it with new eyes, I think. So the Gemara says, Evan Ivory Nick Nevik yes. There's a parallel here to um, the uh, person in a um, city of refuge. Because, uh, yes, about the... Right. It's a very interesting parallel. I hadn't thought of that, but that's a really interesting point. Uh, there's a lot been discussed about wh- why is it that the death of the Kohen Gadol 
is a process that releases the the uh, people in the uh, roteach. Okay, so the Gemara says, "Evidivri nikna bekasif minalan." How do we know that an evidivri could be purchased with uh, money? Amarkra mikasef miknato milamed shenikna bekasef. So the pasuk in Parsha Behar says, "When a Jewish person was bought as a slave by a non-Jew, and he wants to buy back his freedom, he needs a relative to bring money to pay off the the value." So mikasef miknato that means he had been bought with money. So he said, "Eshkechan evidivri hanim karlovid kochavim hoil vekol kinyanu bekasef." Named Charlie Israel Minalan. So fine. I get that for a Jewish person sold as a slave to a non-Jew, it's obvious that you could use Kesef because all of a non-Jew's purchases go by Kesef. That is, the system of Kinyanim it applies to non-Jews in a different way than it applies to Jews, perhaps because of some of the underlying mechanisms rely more on a belief in the Torah or belief in Kedushat Yisrael in a different way than a very financial process. Some of them are more about agreement and trust and and making that agreement different than Kesef, which is a very financial, monetary, just exchange of value. So Kesef works for non-Jews. And also becomes an interesting question we said about Pesach. So when you do the Mechirat Chameitz, when you're selling Chameitz to a non-Jew, there are many different mechanisms that uh, people try to employ L'Chumra to make sure that it works. So they try to do lots of different Kinyanim just in case this one doesn't work for, for this kind of thing. So, anyway. So how do we know about in a case of Nimkar Israel? that is a Jewish person indentures himself to a Jew that it would work with money as well. Amarkra Hefda. That's in the Pasuk talking about Amaha Ivriya and Hefda. That is something to do with her payment, payment of her freedom. So Milamed Shemigarat Pidyona. She could reduce the Pidyon. Pidyon is like the redeem value. Interesting use of the word. It's different than a price. Pidyon is how much money you have to pay back to go free. We talk about Pidyon Shvuim and things like that. She can go free. So then, fine. The Pasuk told me about just like she could get married with money, she could also be indentured or purchased through money. So I still don't know the prime case that is Evid Ivri, the male, adult male uh, Jewish servant. No, we go back to the Pasuk now in Tvarim, right? We've seen now we've had to go to each of the different locations to find the Pasuk. So, when your Jewish brother is sold to you, oh um, and he works for you six years. An adult man is connected here to a minor uh, Jewish woman. So fine. Now you've taught me about a case where he was sold for having stolen and needs to pay back the the criminal uh, the the theft. He could be sold against his will by the Beitin. How do I know about the case of that is a person who just decides I'm too poor and decides to indenture himself? We can learn by Shava of the word Sahir. The word Sahir appears in Devarim where it's talking about purchase using money for Mecharu Beitin. It's also called Sahir. And also the word Sahir comes up in Parshat Bahar in talking about um, Mocher Atmo. Hanich Laman de Yalif Sahir Sahir. So fine, that works for someone who makes that Gzer Shava Sahir Sahir. Ela Laman de Loyalif Sahir Sahir. What about the one who does not make the Gzer Shava? Maikel Neymar, Amarkra, Vechi Tasig. If his hand reaches, that is also in Parshat Bahar, Mosif al Inyan Rishon. It uh, adds an additional gloss 
uh, on to the previous discussion. Vilamed Elyon Mitachton. And the upper case is learned from the lower case. Now, Elyon Mitachton meaning that the two paragraphs in the same section are talking about uh, the Ebed Ivri, and the one, the upper case, was the case we already saw before, which was Mikesef Miknato, talking about a Jewish person sold to a non Jew. And here, now, in the same paragraph or nearby paragraph, is a discussion about a Jew sold to a Jew, and therefore you could learn Yomeda Elyon Mitachton. It's kind of like a smichat parshiot thing. I don't think I've ever seen the lashon elyon mitachton. Is a strange yeah. formulation. It's interesting. So, uh, yeah. Okay. It's like a smichat parshiot. The yeah. Proximity. Proximity. Sexual proximity. It's looser than a real hekesh, but it's kind of close. Again, it's in a broader set of paragraphs. The whole parshat tahar is about land and slaves, mm-hmm. and then you know, paragraph by paragraph, right. kind of. So, so it's, it's interesting it's not, it's point. Not right. A logical analysis. Correct. A literary principle. Right. That is, we have two paragraphs about Jewish people selling themselves as slaves near each other. So we can learn from one to the other. A kind of a loose hekesh. Okay. Uman tana de lo yali sachir sachir. Who is the tana who does not learn the gzera shava such that he would need to use this kind of a hekesh? Hai tana hu de tanya hamocher atzmo nimkar l'sheish veyater al sheish. So that's the Tana who lo- taught this Brita, which says, Mocher Atzmo, a person sells himself into servitude, could sell himself for six years, or Yater Al Sheish, more than six years. Why? If you're entering into the agreement, you could do whatever you want. You're pr- basically just making a business arrangement. That is, you go to this guy and say, I want to work for you, pay me this wage. And he says, great. And he, g- he gives you the money. So I don't understand. You could do any kind of hiring you want. More than six years. The point is that when a Beit Din has to sell someone who was a thief, who's being sold against his will for a crime, that's a case where there's a Torah places a limit on it. It could only be six years. But that's not true. We, have, we regulate other kinds of transactions. Fine. So, but this is one opinion in the Tanaim. The other Tanaim are going to reject and say, look, every maximum is six years, no matter what. And that has an underlying value to teach us no person should be working as an every more than six years, even if, and again, we have to think, every isn't so similar to what we would call slavery, but it has certain elements that are similar. If you Torah use the word Evid, you're not supposed to be an Evid. You're supposed to be, you know, your own free person. So there is exactly that question of values there as well. And that question of regulation is, well, if it were just a business arrangement, the Torah wouldn't have as much of a need to have regulated it so precisely. But if it really has that schmutz of being slavery at its core, so then the Torah finds it much more problematic. The person who's who's for financial reasons? For financial reasons, exactly. Not just straight employment. Right. It's something beyond employment because he does work and live in the same place and he has certain things provided for him by the Adon um, but it's close to employment it's certainly uh, a kind of all all expenses included kind of employment um, a lot is a similar Thing, right. I mean, right. I no, for sure. Meaning, right. But of course, and so that 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 barrier is a bit more flexible. The point is to see that mecharuhu beitin, where it's done against his will and it's done for a crime, the Torah specifically has to put a limit on it to say it can't be more than six years. There's no punishment more than six years for this kind of a crime. Okay. Exactly. Kiliya b'nei Yisrael avadim avadai hema. Right. Avadim v'lo avadim avadim. Okay. Mecharu beitin enu mikarel sheish. Ah, so let's, let's continue the brisa. Sorry. So this is the same. Uh, so this is the same brisa continuing, and the 
Brisa continues, Hamocher atmo eno nirza. If you sell yourself into slavery, your ear will not be pierced because you agreed to this arrangement. So then the whole context of Evid Nirza doesn't even make sense because you've agreed to enter into this contractual business deal and then you want to be able to get out of it. Why would you ever even want to do to become an Evid Nirza at that point? Evid Nirza is about someone who really was close to being enslaved to this family and so then if he likes it, he'll be accepted. Tangential note, the last uh, law in Hammurabi's code is what do you do if a slave runs away? And the first law in Parshat Mishpatim is, what do you do when a slave says, I want to stay slaved? <laughs> so, uh, R- R- Rabbi Hertz in the Hertz Chumash makes a point just about the whole focal point of Judaism in rejection of the ancient Near Eastern slave laws is to say, the Jewish system is designed in such a way that there is even a Havamina that a slave after six years will want to be a slave because it's a good, a good lifestyle. Uh, and that's the kind of respect and care that you should be treating uh, workers and slaves with uh, in, in the Torah society. Okay. Mecharu beitin nirza. But a mecharu beitin, if he was sold by beitin, he could be, uh, have his ear pierced. Mocher atzmo ein man yikimlo. And mocher atzmo, if you sold yourself into it, then when you go free, there's no obligation to give you gifts of food and supplies for your starting out in severance the severance pay kind of thing. Mecharu beitin ma'anikim lo. And that's one of the special mitzvot that the Torah provides for when the mecharu beitin goes free, the master has to provide him with produce and food and, and money to support himself. Now again, uh, think about it. This is someone who is incredibly poor such that he could not pay back what he stole. So obviously, if you're just going to send him back into the world with nothing, that is, he paid off his debt, and now there's nothing left, zero. Back, he's back in the black, but he's at zero. He's going to go out into the world. What's his option now? The only thing he can do, basically, I mean, he can go and try to get a job somewhere, but he doesn't have a place to live. He doesn't have any food. He doesn't have any clothes. Or he can go and steal again. So the Torah says, Hanek Tanik Lo, right? You have to provide for him in order to give him that boost, that jump start to get, get that going. Mocher Atzmo, Ein Rabo Moser Lo And if you were Mocher Atzmo, if you sold yourself into this servitude, then the master cannot give you a shifcha kanani to marry and produce little baby abadim who are evid kanani. Uh, but mecharu beitin rabomo serlo shifcha kanani. And if it was mecharu beitin, so this brayta, this tana at least, and it's machloket time, but this tana who quotes in this brayta highlights many distinctions between mocher atzmo and mecharu beitin, which is pretty much based on the pshat in the psukim. That is, other Tanaim disagree and collapse the system. But this Tana holds that there are differences between Mocharu Beitin and Mocher Atmo, uh, based on the Pshat, and it actually highlights very important difference, that is, Mecharu Beitin is much closer to a real kind of slavery. That is, this is, in a certain sense, punishment and restitution and imprisonment mm-hmm. for your crime. Very different than Mocher Atmo, which is basically a business deal. That someone who is down on their luck might make if they needed to to make up some some cash. What's the status of the child of the uh, Eved Ivri? Right. Mecharuhu Beitin and Eved Ivri. The child of the Shifcha Kananit is an Eved Kananit. Now we know Shifcha Kananit is as if partially Jewish. That is, Eved Ivri and Shifcha Kananit are partially Jewish in that they have to keep certain mitzvot. But they are Avadim. It's a different status. And the children born to a Shifcha Kananit are Avadim. And therefore, a good way for a slave owner to have more slaves is Yilid Bait. The Torah talks about slaves born into your household. That is, if your slaves procreate, 
then you own their offspring. And that's a way, this way, the Torah would provide an Eved Ivri even to be allowed or forced even to procreate with Shifcha Knanit in such a way so as to produce more, more slaves for the slave master. Okay. Rabbi Leazar Omer, Zevezeh eno nimkar ela l'sheish. Zevezeh nirtzav. Zevezeh ma'anikim lo, vezevezeh rabbo moser lo Shifcha Knanit. So this is a machlokes between the Tanakama and Rabbi Elazar. Tanakama thinks there are all these differences between Mocher Atzmo and Mecharu Beitin, and Rabbi Elazar thinks that they are basically the same halacha. That is, all of those distinctions are actually collapsed. If we would take time to learn in the Psukim, you'll see the context makes it very clear that at the Pshat level, the, all of those distinctions are in place. The Tanakhama is very good at reading Pshat, and Rabbi Elazar says, whatever, the halachic system takes all of the information from the Torah and condenses it into a single mechanism of Eved Ivri, not two parallel systems, one of Mechar Hubeitin and one of Mocher Atmo. Okay. My love, the Hakami Palgi. So what are, what's the Machoket about? The Tanakama lo yali Sakhir Sakhir. It must be that the Tanakama does not learn the Gzerashava from Sakhir Sakhir. That is the, the Psukim equating the case of Eved Ivri in Vayikra and in Dvarim, which were two different sources about uh, Eved Ivri. So the Tanakama does not learn them, and therefore he sees all these distinctions between those two different categories. So in Vayikra he sees it talking about Mocher Atmo. In Dvarim he sees Mecharu Beitin. And all of the Naskaminas that came with that. The Rabbi Elazar, Yalif Sahir Sahir. Rabbi Elazar does learn Sahir Sahir. So now we know who holds what, and we know both, according to each of those Shitot, how do we know that you could be Eved Ivri Nikne Bekesas? So Amarav Tivyumi, Mishmedi Abai, the Kuliyama Yalif Sahir Sahir. No, a different approach. The Amoraim now say everyone agrees to Sahir Sahir. Everyone thinks that we can equate. Uh, and, and draw the parallels between the two different sources. Makes it clear. Rabbi Elazar and the Tanakama disagree about this pasuk. My time at the Tanakama Amar Mocher Atzmo Nimkar L'Sheish V'Yater Al-Sheish Mi'et Rachmana Gabi Mecharu Beitin V'Avadcha Sheish Shanim The Torah made a special exclusion that Mecharu Beitin could not work more than six years. Zeh Velo Mocher Atzmo Only Mecharu Beitin could work limited to six years but Mocher Atzmo could work for more. V'Idach V'Avadcha uh, but he, that is the Rabbi Elazar, needs that pasuk, the avadcha. He works for you. But if the Adon dies, then he does not work for the Yoresh. That is, Eved Ivri is not inheritable property. He's not property. He's a Jewish person. He's working for you. And if the person he made the contract with dies, he doesn't transfer that contract to the Yoresh. He doesn't transfer it to the inheriting son. The Idach, the avadcha, Achirinaktiv. And they, uh, so that, and then the other opinion, that is uh, Tanakama, the Avadacha, so Achirinaktiv, afterwards, the Idachahu, the Hartzat Adonhu, the Idata. That comes to get the Adon, that the Adon agreed to it. My time is Tanakama, the Amar Mocheratzmo, Enonirza. So how then, so let's pause here because it's going to come up tomorrow, but just the, 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 going through each of these distinctions now and saying, even if both Tanakama and Rabbi Elazar agree that we do learn the Drasha Sachir Sachir, nonetheless, how do they get all of their distinctions? You can still 